everybody. I'm Jessica Levinson, a professor at Loyola Law School and the host of Passing Judgment. I'm joined by the show's co-host and producer, Joe Armstrong. We're going to talk you through a number of legal and political issues, talk about how they affect your daily lives. And today we have a jam-packed episode where we're going to focus on Texas and voting and how these voting laws actually affect you. Joe, will you take us away with some more specifics? Absolutely. As they say, everything is bigger in Texas. Jessica, the Republican march to limit voting rights in the guise of voter fraud finds its front line in Texas this week as a number of Texas Democrats found a creative way to prevent a vote on a new voting restrictions bill. And what is their plan, Jessica? They skipped town. They certainly did. Simply by not being present, the Democrats have denied a quorum necessary to vote on anything in that Texas legislature. Let's roll through the who, what, when, where, and why, Jessica, just like good old journalism school. Yeah, I love this. So, Joe, let's start with first who. Who specifically are we talking about here? Who indeed, Jessica, that's 51 of the 67 Democratic members of the Texas House of Representatives. That's the number coincidentally needed to break a quorum. And what they did was they went to the airport. That's Austin Bergstrom International Airport. Just earlier this week, they boarded chartered flights departed around 3 p.m. Central Time. Just another day in America where our elected lawmakers have to leave the state in order to deprive their colleagues of a quorum to try and get some business done. So when specifically did all this happen? You said they left around 3.10 p.m. What's going on here? Are, are they coming back? How long can they stay away? Yeah, exactly, Jessica. They skipped town, as you said, around 3 o'clock on Monday. Now, when are they coming back? We have no idea. No return date has been set. Where did they go this time around? Washington, D.C. on chartered flights. And that leaves the what and why of this story. So in a joint statement, the Texas Democrats said the following. Quote, today, Texas House Democrats stand united in our decision to break quorum and refuse to let the Republican-led legislature force through dangerous legislation that would trample on Texans' freedom to vote. And for his part, in retort, Texas Governor Greg Abbott said that he could just schedule additional special legislative sessions, one after another, after this one concludes in 20 or something days. And in an interview with Austin television station KVUE, he also threatened to have the the Democratic lawmakers arrested when they do eventually return them's fighting words, as they say in Texas. Now, given their minority in the Texas legislature, can this tactic even work? And more importantly, Jessica, why? And that's your territory. So take it away. Yeah, this is my territory is where things get really depressing and a lot less fun. So as you laid out, Joe, I mean, this is not our first rodeo, so to speak. The Texas has been kind of the epicenter of one of the big fights in voting rights in America. And this mirrors what's happening in so many other states. So Texas Republicans have proposed restrictive new voting laws, which I'll talk about in a minute. And this is what we've seen in, I believe now, 22 other states have passed some portion of a new voting law that is restrictive in some way. And Texas Republicans are saying what Republicans throughout the nation have said, which is, well, we need it to prevent fraud and we need it to promote the integrity of the electoral system. Now, I know, again, how many times have I said this on the podcast, Joe? I know I'm going to sound like a partisan, but 
there is no widespread voter fraud. When it happens, it's so rare. It doesn't swing elections. It is not a legitimate reason to make it more difficult to vote. We're not protecting anything. These are solutions. I used to say solutions in search of a problem, but they're really solutions to the problem of too many people who are Democrats voting. And again, I hate saying it like this. I hate that this is where we are as a country, but this is where we're seeing voting laws proposed, again, throughout the nation. Democrats have said, we're being locked out of the process, we're not being heard, and the only way to prevent these laws from going into effect is literally to, as we've now said, skip town. So the problem, of course, is this is a terrible way to govern, is not good for the public, this is not what we want when we're talking about having a deliberative body, and how, you know, I mean, Joe, how can you keep doing this? Like at some point they're going to come back and at some point Governor Abbott will say, okay, we're calling another special election. I think that the Democrats calculus here is that if they push this long enough and get enough attention that Republicans will simply lose their the wind at their sails, that they'll simply lose their backing to do this. That's a big gamble. So, you know, you ask me, can this work? I mean, in the short term, it can work. But I mean, there were pictures on social media. One of the lawmakers chartered one of these flights with her infant. You know, you can't stay away forever. And it can't be that our answer to what plagues voting in America is for lawmakers to just in mass leave the state. Now, I promised what I hope doesn't feel like 17 minutes ago to our listeners. I said, you know, I'll talk about the specifics of what we mean by these restrictive voting laws. So the main flavors are basically restricting the when and the how of when you vote. So the when is a lot of these laws will restrict early voting um, and they'll make it more difficult. So it'll be harder to apply to be an absentee voter, or you'll have to continue to apply to be an absentee voter. A lot of these laws have voter ID requirements. A lot of these laws will do things like limit the use of drop boxes. And so we know what happens with these laws, Joe. We know that they disproportionately fall on Democrats, and I hate to say it, but that's why Democrats oppose them and Republicans support them. And Now, since I've been talking uninterrupted for 20 minutes, Joe, something I alluded to, this does kind of feel like deja vu all over again, but am I losing my mind or have we kind of been here before? You know, Jessica, we most certainly have. You're absolutely right. This is not the first time this has happened in Texas, but as the kids say, it has been a minute. In 2003, (laughs) which sounds like only yesterday to some of us, about 50 or so Texas Democratic congressional representatives skipped town, there's that phrase again, and the whole state of Texas over a redistricting fight, and they holed up in a hotel just across the border in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Not long after that, 11 Texas senators left the state and convened in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And more recently, this is a lot more recently, just actually a few weeks ago, Texas Democrats walked out in the last hour of the normally scheduled legislative session at the end of May over a bill called SB7 that would have restricted early voting on Sundays. 
But Jessica, aside from all the political theater and geographical oddities, the Texas Democrats may be applying pressure to the feds, which is a different strategy. There may be something else behind this other than just Texas politics. So can you tell us about that, Jessica? Yeah, I mean, I really think this once again brings up the idea that we no longer have a floor of protection nationwide when it comes to voting. And it's interesting, I was thinking about this when I was talking to my students over the summer, I was teaching constitutional law, and we were talking about the things that really need to be accomplished nationally, like, for instance, immigration law, uh, environmental policy, and Uh, trade policy, because it just doesn't make sense for states to implement some things by a patchwork. Now, we know in the Constitution that it says states can determine the time, place, and manner of elections. But we also know that the federal government does have a role in, again, providing that basic floor of protection for voters. And, you know, Joe, what you alluded to here is that the Texas Democrats are really by chartering these planes, really saying we need help from the federal government. We can't keep leaving our state. You know, Congress, Senate, act, do something. And President Biden did have a speech about voting rights, and he did talk about the importance of the federal government being involved in these restrictive voting laws that are being proposed throughout the country. Now, you know, let's talk about the logistics of this, Joe. I mean, Of course, what this would mean is that a voting proposal, either something like the For the People Act or something narrower, like just a law that would target, for instance, the part of the Voting Rights Act that's essentially been gutted or eviscerated by the Supreme Court, that that very likely would pass the House. But here again, we're facing a problem in the Senate. You really need to do away with the filibuster in order to get this to pass the Senate. And it looks like Democrats have no appetite to get rid of the filibuster, which, again, is understandable because at some point Democrats could be in the minority and then that's a big power that they would have done away. But with the filibuster, it's really hard to see how you have any movement on the federal level. I mean, maybe President Biden can say, you know, isn't there a a sliver of compromise that we can find. And, you know, Joe, the wild thing about this is like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, uh, it used to be pretty universally understood that we would support basic voting rights. So if you would win elections because your ideas were better, because you had a better ground game, you got out the vote better, or even you were better at fundraising, But now I think because the demographics are changing and I mean, think about what would happen in presidential elections if Texas turns blue. That's it. Republicans cannot win in the Electoral College again. And that's why I think we see that this issue that used to be not as hyperpartisan has become the foundational issue, I believe, of our time. And that's just all a long way of saying I am very pessimistic about um, the idea that we're going to have any meaningful uh, voting rights protection on the national level. All right, Jessica, let's engage in an exercise of magical thinking and use the word if, and this is a colossal if, if the House and the Senate did actually pass some kind of voting rights legislation. Is that the end of this story? Are our votes then protected at that point? 
Well, uh, no. I mean, so this is where we come back to, Joe, uh, a Supreme Court case that, oh my gosh, I think it's about two weeks ago. It actually feels much longer in some ways. A Supreme Court case that just came out a few weeks ago dealing with Arizona's voting laws. And the reason that case is so important is because Justice Alito writing for a six to three majority really significantly watered down um, the standard, the protections uh, that stand under the Voting Rights Act that is still in effect, which means in plain English, if you want to try and challenge restrictive voting laws based on a discriminatory effect, it's going to be really, really difficult. So in part, once these laws are in effect um, on the state level, let's just a reminder, it's going to be harder to challenge them. You asked me about, well, what if, you know, magical thinking, what if legislation is passed on the federal level? One of the other things that the court did in that Arizona case, Joe, is that I think they kind of signaled that if the federal government does want to legislate in this area, they better not go too far. And we can, you know, get into the weeds about that, but it basically is the idea of what I just said before, that the Constitution gives states the power over elections. And that's something that is worrisome because again if you can get over those political hurdles then you potentially have a problem in the supreme court of them upholding that legislation now one solution which is a really aggressive solution is to do something called jurisdiction stripping and that means that you would actually take the supreme court's jurisdiction for hearing that case that challenge the legislation away now, I think it probably makes sense at this point when it comes to voting rights in the Supreme Court, but you can imagine how you can really start to play politics with that and how, for instance, you could have a very, let's say you had a very conservative piece of legislation that maybe you and I would not think is good policy. If our lawmakers decide to strip the Supreme Court of jurisdiction, that means that whatever the Court of Appeals say stands. So it's a very aggressive move. I'm not sure if it should be where we are, but the fact that we're even talking about it is really significant. All right, Jessica. Now here in the halls of Passing Judgment World Headquarters, this is a show about politics and the law and a lot of things in between. And you and I spend a lot of time talking about how we can make these topics relevant to people's lives. Why should I care is the, uh, the basic question here. So I'm not an average Joe, but what is the average Joe or Jill? What can they expect going forward? We've literally never had the conversation where you've said I'm not an average Joe. Um, so what can we expect going forward? Like, I think that in the short term, your voting experience is going to be very different depending on whether you live in a blue state or a red state. And if you live in a blue state, it probably will not be particularly difficult to vote. You might automatically have your ballots sent to you. Once you register as a vote by mail uh, voter, it might be fairly easy to just continue uh, voting by mail. Uh, you might have a lot of early voting hours. Uh, you might have a lot of drop boxes. In a red state, you might have a very different experience where there's not a lot of early voting, you have a voter ID requirement, not a lot of ballot drop boxes, you have to continue to ask for absentee ballots if that's what you want. You know, what can we do about it? 
look, this is a difficult answer, but the truth is if we want, if we don't agree with these restrictive voting laws and you live in a red state, the way around it is to say, I am dedicated to voting, even if it's hard, even if it's harder than it should be, and to elect people who you will then feel have views that are more consistent with yours and then hold those people accountable. You know, restrictive voting laws, we fight over them because they tend to work, but the antidote to them is to show up and vote. Well, on that maybe semi-hopeful note, Joe, I think this concludes another episode and actually our last episode of season two of Passing Judgment. So thank you everybody for listening. We love having these conversations with you. You can find Joe on social media, Twitter and Instagram at Day. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Levinson Jessica, the podcast on Twitter at Pass Judgment Pod, and on Instagram at Passing Judgment Pod. Please do contact us. If you tweet me, I read it. I try to always respond. We want to know what you want to hear about, what you like, what you don't like. And Joe, is that it for us? Yes, that's enough out of me on average, Joe, and you very much on average, Jessica. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you in season three of Passing Judgment. Passing Judgment.